Hey, way to go, you guys. I'm so proud of you for seeking God today, being in the house of God. As Dan mentioned, next week we start this three-week series, Changemakers. I can't wait to tell you stories about children, hundreds of kids today who are eating meals because of you, churches that are worshiping today because of you, missionaries who you are supporting all around the world. It's going to be a really inspiring and encouraging series as we see what God is doing through us really every day through our faithfulness. Well, today we're wrapping up this series, Encounters with Jesus. And can we give it up for Tony Regato and Clarence Moore who brought the Word of God the last two weeks? They did an amazing job. I'm excited to wrap us up today, and today we're going to talk about Jesus' encounter with a doubter. I can uh, speak to doubters because I've been a doubter. I often am a doubter. I don't know if you remember back in 2007, this new invention was coming out called the iPhone. Anyone remember when we were hearing in 2007 about the iPhone? It was going to be like an iPod music player and a phone. And I remember when that first uh, came out that there were a lot of skeptics. In fact, I was a doubter. And here's why I was a doubter. Because I already had a relationship with a device. It was this. It was a Palm Trio. I got my first Palm Trio right when I finished my undergrad from college. And I learned how to thumb type on this keyboard. And I just had this emotional connection with the Palm Trio because I could send emails on it. And I remember hearing about the iPhone and my newspaper editor got one like the day they came out. And I thought, that's fine. I'm sure people will like it. It'll work for other people. But I doubt it would ever be for me because I just love my Palm Trio so very much. In fact, I wasn't the only doubter. The CEO of Microsoft said this in 2007, really not that long ago. He said, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share, no chance. I thought about reading these quotes from my iPhone. Here's what a tech product reviewer, you gotta love reviewers, movie and book reviewers and product reviewers, they're called critics for a reason, right? Here's one of the first reviews of the iPhone from TechCrunch said, that virtual keyboard will be about as useful for tapping out emails and text messages as a rotary phone. And ironically now, I've typed out sermons, entire chapters of books on that useless keyboard. Well, we all have doubts at different times about different things. And if we're honest, we all have doubts about God. So here's the question we're asking today. Can you believe in Jesus even if you have doubts? Can you believe in him as God, as a being who can help you with your problems? Can you believe in him if you're experiencing doubts or do doubts disqualify you from believing in Jesus? This is, to me, such an important question because my entire journey with God has been informed by doubts, sometimes defined by doubts. In fact, my very beginning of my relationship with God is I looked at the evidence that Jesus lived. Okay, this guy's real. He really did launch a big movement. I remember still doubting, but what if, what if he's just a, an important person in history? What if he's not God? And I've doubted from the beginning, and some of you are here today, or you're watching, and that's you. You're like, I don't even know if God exists, or even if God does exist, is Jesus him? I mean, is it a personal God, or is it just a distant God? If that's you, this message is for you. 
I also know there's a lot of us in this room and there's a lot of people watching where your doubts are no longer those big general doubts, but it's a more specific doubt. In other words, you have come to believe that Jesus is God. You have experienced his peace, his forgiveness. You do believe that you're gonna live eternally with him in heaven because of what he did on the cross. But when it comes to a relationship right now, you doubt that he could actually fix it. Or when it comes to your finances right now, it just looks like this mountain of debt that you don't think he could ever move. Or when it comes to your own emotions, you doubt that he could ever get you to a place where you're just emotionally stable and not depressed. We all have doubts, whether it's those big ones or a very specific issue that you doubt, could God actually fix this? That's been the case for me. I started as a doubter. And as I've grown in my faith and now am fully convinced that Jesus not only lived, but that he's God and he died on the cross for the sins of the world. I mean, I know 100% that if I die today, I'm going to wake up in heaven. I have that faith, but every week I still doubt different things in my life. In fact, as a pastor, I'll just tell you a few different times where my emotions I felt overcome by doubt. About seven years ago, I released my first book. And for me, what it was was this, really this project to help the American church understand where we're at. And I put hundreds of hours into it as a researcher, probably thousands of hours. And then you put this thing out there and people start saying it's good or it's bad. And I remember just becoming overcome with these emotions of doubt of, you know what, this whole thing's just gonna fail. I remember early in my marriage when Mel and I, we'd come from very different family systems and we were both believers in Jesus and we knew we loved each other and were committed to each other, but we just did not get along. We would have these terrible fights and because of the conflict styles that we both came from, it was just this toxic tornado when we'd have conflict. We didn't know how to handle it. And I remember believing that Jesus is God and rose from the dead and would give me eternal life, but doubting if he would ever get my marriage to a place where it wasn't just a total disaster. I remember being overcome by emotions of doubt about that. I remember a time when I left my journalism career and took over a little church of 40 people and started leading that group and we had grown to three or 400 and had this vision for this big evangelism event where we would tell people about Jesus. We, we would do this big picnic called Gather on the Grass and we rented out this field and everyone in this little group of two or three or 400 people, whatever it was at the time, they all came together and worked so hard and it was this big picnic carnival and guess what? Right after we got everything set up, massive monsoon thunderstorm and we got totally rained out I mean just drenched and I remember at the end of that day feeling like I am a terrible leader what am I doing why do I even think I could ever lead people for God why do I even think God could ever use me I remember just being overcome with those feelings so wherever it is in your life right now that you say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but there's an area where there's a situation where I just feel like it's impossible that he could ever use me or that he could ever fix it. Can you still believe in him even as you're feeling those emotions? Well, we're going to find the answer to this question in the true story of a dad who was overcome with doubts mixed with just a little bit of faith. You see, this dad, his son, was terribly, terribly broken. 
His son was broken by an evil that most of us haven't seen firsthand, but it is a real evil still in the world today called demon possession. It's when a fallen angel, which is called a demon in the supernatural realm, actually takes over a person and can control their body, at times even their voice. It's a real thing, and we don't often encounter it face to face, but in Jesus' time, because he was God, there was a lot of overt demonic activity around him. And this father had a son who had been overcome with demonic possession from the time he was like a toddler. And this father, he doesn't know for sure if Jesus could actually fix this But he thinks, maybe it's worth a chance. Maybe it's worth a try. Maybe I'll bring my son to Jesus and see if the stories are true. That this prophet figure from Nazareth who claims to be God, if he is, maybe he could cast this evil spirit out of my son. And here's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 9. So they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit that was in the boy saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked, how long has this been happening? Well, the father answers, since he was a very little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or throws him into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us, the father begs of Jesus. And then he says this, help us if you can. You see the mixture here of faith and doubt? I believe you can help me, but I'm not totally sure you can help me. I love Jesus' response. Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? (laughs) (laughs) Them are powerful words. But here's the thing for the father. The father has known this evil presence, this brokenness for years and years and years. He's only heard about Jesus for a few weeks or months, and he's only now seen Jesus face to face. So as much as we might look down on his doubt, it's totally normal. And isn't that the case with us? When there's a pain in our life that has gone gone on for years and years, someone we thought we could trust betrayed us, or something that was done to us or some physical condition that hasn't been healed. We want to believe in Jesus, but we're so familiar with that pain. We're so familiar with that brokenness that if we're honest, our prayer is, Jesus, help me if you can. And I would encourage you today, that's not a bad prayer. That's a great place to start. It's where this guy starts. And Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? And then Jesus says this, anything is possible if a person believes for the person who has faith. Now, this is one of those quotes of Jesus that sometimes gets taken out of context. And people will use it as kind of a meme on the internet to be like, you know, just believe. If you believe in yourself, anything's possible. You know, have enough faith. And if you have enough faith in yourself, if you believe that you could flap your arms and fly to the planet Mars, then you could do it if you just believe in yourself. And that sounds really cute, right? But we don't really want people jumping off buildings believing that they could flap their way to Jupiter. This is not the generic, spineless, sounds good but means nothing message of our day that just believe and it'll happen. This is a very specific kind of belief. 
This is the belief that the father has already expressed because what did he do? He heard about Jesus and he believed this, my son will be delivered not because of me having a happy feeling, but because I go to the person who can heal my son. This is a faith, this is a belief in a specific person. This is a belief in Jesus as God that he can fix your problem. That he can fix that thing that no matter how much positive thinking you have, you couldn't fix on your own. And I just love this response from the father, right? His faith is mixed with doubt. And Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Of course I can. Do you actually believe in me? And now check out the father's response. He cries out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And I just love this verse. This is one of my life verses because when I started to learn, okay, Jesus existed, the gospel records are reliable, he did launch this massive movement. 2,000 years later, one out of three people say they follow him. All these great things have happened in the world because of him, but I just still don't know. Like, is this actually true? And here's what you need to know. I started my relationship with Jesus as someone who had a little bit of faith mixed with a whole lot of doubt. And I would pray what I call the skeptic's prayer, which is, God, if you're not there, I don't want to waste my time. But if you are there, if you really made everything and you want to have a relationship with me, then sincerely, I want to know you. I do want to be in relationship with you. And God, I've got this little bit of faith that something made me and made everything. Would you help my unbelief? If you're there, overcome my unbelief, help my unbelief. And here's the thing about that prayer. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk with other skeptics or doubters and they'll say, well, I, I've prayed that, but nothing has happened. But have you prayed it and meant it? Have you stepped out and tried it? And here's an example. If someone says, hey, go try this new restaurant in town, the food's really good. Are you gonna sit at home and just be like, hmm, I just can't bring myself to believe that the food is good? so I'm not gonna try it. People do this with God though, right? We wouldn't do this with any other domain of life, but we do this with God, right? Like, I've just, I just can't bring myself to believe that the food's good, so I'm not gonna go try it. Well, come on, just go try the food, right? And then if it's terrible, say it's terrible, but give it a shot, give it a try. And sometimes when we have general doubts about God, we apply to God a standard that we wouldn't apply to any other area of life. Like, have you tried it? Have you tried saying, God, if you're there, forgive my sins. God, if you're there, show yourself to me. God, if you can offer this peace, give it to me. I'll try it. I'll taste the food. And if you're a doubter in the general sense, I'd encourage you, doubt does not prohibit you from having faith because faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice. And you can choose to have faith even when you're feeling overcome by doubt. And that's true in the general sense of believing in God. It's also true when you feel overcome with doubt about a situation just like this father did. And so here's the reality. I called this one of my life verses because not only was this key in me becoming a believer in Jesus, when I was praying things like, God, I still don't know if you're there and if you're not, I don't wanna waste my time, but if you are, that's where I started. But guess what? Every week I still pray this prayer. No longer about if God exists. Uh, he's showed me his power in my life and in the world. But every night when I kneel at my bed, at least once a week, 
There's a time where I have to say, God, I know what you have in plan in store for Connection Point, but I've got to be honest, help me overcome my unbelief because I see how big your plans are, but are we actually going to get there? I believe, help my unbelief. God, I know you've got plans for my three kiddos. I know they're going to grow up to love you and serve you, but they spent the whole day arguing with each other and they seem so selfish. I believe they're going to grow up to do great things for you, but would you help my unbelief? Right? I believe you can do this thing in my marriage, but would you help my unbelief? I believe these past wounds that are still defining me and controlling my emotions, I believe you can totally set me free from those, but would you help my unbelief? And we just, we pray this prayer, we cling to it. I'm gonna pick the story up in Matthew's telling. Matthew tells the same story and here's how he picks it up in Matthew 17. After this father says, Jesus, you're right. I've got as much doubt as I have faith, but help overcome my doubt. What does Jesus do? Does Jesus scold him? Does Jesus say, well, if you want me to work in your life, you've got to have perfect faith. Not at all. Jesus answers his prayer. And I've found in my life that when I say, Jesus, I do believe, but would you overcome my unbelief? If I pray that sincerely, he answers it every single time. And that's what happened for this father. Jesus then rebukes the demon that's in his son, and the demon left him. From that moment, the boy was well. And if you're like, oh, this all just sounds like a myth. This sounds too fantastical to be true. Here's the thing. Jesus lived in a real region, a very small region by today's standards. And these were real villages and towns where people in a word-of-mouth culture would then go and say, where's the dad whose boy was demon-possessed? And they could find that person. And this went on for years and years that people would go back and say, did that actually happen? That's part of why this movement exploded. People would go verify it, and then they'd say, wow, this really happened. And so this was written years later by followers of Jesus who had affirmed that these things, they didn't just happen in a moment. It's not like it was an epileptic kid who stopped having seizures for a week. This child was changed for the rest of his life because of his father's faith, which was mixed with doubt. Well, afterwards, the disciples, they asked Jesus privately, why weren't we able to cast that demon out? See, they had tried before Jesus and they had failed. And Jesus' answer is very simple. He says, you don't have enough faith. You don't have enough faith. And then he says this, I tell you the truth, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move, nothing would be impossible. Now, the mountain is a metaphor. The mountain is the problem that's in your life. The mountain is the obstacle. It's the area where you doubt that God could work. For the dad, the mountain was his son's condition. For the disciples, the mountain was that they were trying to follow Jesus, but they were failing. I don't know what your mountain is. Very interestingly, Jesus says you don't have to have a lot of faith but it's faith that you actually plant into the ground like a seed. A mustard seed, Jesus' audience, they would have known this really well because they were farmers. And they knew that the mustard seed, it was the smallest seed they knew of. If you've never seen one, I'll tell you about a seed that you probably have seen because there's a, a certain well-known hamburger that comes on a sesame seed bun. 
This last week, I got Jack, my nine-year-old, his first ever Burger King Whopper. He'd never had one before, and he wanted it plain, just the meat, the cheese, and the bun, no, you know, sauces or vegetables. And and as many nine-year-olds do, he pulled out the meat first and ate it by itself and said, wow, Dad, this is really good. Can we get this for dinner also? Probably not, but we'll go back in a couple of days. And then he said, what are all these seeds on the bun? Why'd they put seeds on the bun? I said, those are sesame seeds. I'm not totally sure why they do that, but that's a sesame seed. So you know what a sesame seed is. Well, mustard seed's about half that size, maybe a little bit smaller. The point is, it's not a lot of faith. It's a very small amount of faith, but it's all about the action. Do you actually plant the faith in the ground? And what we're going to see in this story from Jesus is we tend to view faith through the lens of emotion. And we think, well, if I'm feeling doubt, then I must not have faith. But Jesus, he completely obliterates that idea. He says, faith is about action. You might feel, oh, I've got all the faith in the world. My faith is as big as a watermelon seed. But if you don't plant it in the ground, it's not going to do any good. You have a tiny little bit of mustard seed faith that's mixed in with a whole bunch of doubt, but you say, you know what? I'm actually gonna plant it in the ground. I'm actually gonna act on this faith. I'm actually gonna leave my house. I'm actually gonna do what Jesus says. I'm gonna bring my son to Jesus. I'm gonna bring my problem to Jesus. And then even if your faith is tiny and imperfect and laced with doubt, if you actually act on that faith, it moves mountains. Sometimes these mountains move immediately like the father's son who is healed. Other times the mountain moves over time. I told you about me and Mel's marriage and feeling like, I don't know, will we ever actually like each other? I mean, there was a season where it was like, hey, Jesus says his followers aren't supposed to get a divorce, so that's why we're together right now. There was a season where that's what held us together. But you know what faith does? Faith says, if God's gonna change her to be the best version of herself, then when he does that, because he will, what kind of husband will she deserve to be married to? And so faith says, I will start acting to be that kind of husband now because I know God's gonna do it in time. And guess what happens when you get two people in a marriage who both take that mindset? Someday God's gonna make my spouse the best version of themselves. When I wake up next to that person, will I deserve to be in bed with them and be living with them? I'm going to start working on myself. You get two people who are both doing that, and God changes both of the people, and then one day you wake up next to each other, and you're both like, wow, we have an amazing marriage. How did we get here? Because faith is about action. It's about actually planting that little seed. It's about actually doing. Here's our big idea today. Belief, Jesus teaches us, is a choice, not a feeling. Belief is a choice, it's not a feeling. And so you might be here and think, you know, I've wanted to believe in God, but I haven't felt like it. Well, guess what? Your feelings kind of don't matter when it comes to believing something. And let me give you an example of this, okay? Let's say you had your, your dream job becomes available. I mean, the pay's amazing, it's what you'd love to do, everything about it is awesome. Here's the only catch. For your first job interview, your first job interview for this job is at 3.30 in the morning. So you're going to have to set your alarm for 1 a.m. You're going to have to wake up and get ready and drive to be at this interview at 3.30. Now, when that alarm goes off at 1 o'clock a.m., are you going to feel like waking up? If you're like me, you're not going to feel like waking up. 
You're gonna feel like sleeping, but you're gonna know I'm getting up anyways because I act on what I know to be true regardless of how I feel. You get on a plane and even if you're kind of afraid that, oh, I don't know, I'm kind of afraid of flying, but you know it's gonna get me where I need to go and it's you know, statistically safer than driving. You, you act on what you know to be true even if you feel some fear. And the same is true spiritually. We get this in other realms, right? You probably don't feel like saving for retirement. Wouldn't it be more fun to just get a shinier, newer car than to set aside money for the future? But you act on what you know to be true and it's just the same in the spiritual realm. Now, here's the good news. As you choose belief as a choice, your feelings do catch up eventually. You say, God, I'm gonna believe what you say to do in my marriage and I'm gonna do that just because you say it. I guess, guess what? You might not feel it at the beginning, but eventually your feelings catch up. Just like if you've never eaten vegetables and you're like, oh, vegetables are disgusting, I don't ever want a salad. Well, if you start choosing to eat some of them because they're good for you, eventually you'll find some that you like. I'm getting a lot of sneers, so I'm not gonna camp on that. <laughs> not gonna camp on that. Let me give you guys, when you feel doubt, three actions that you can take to overcome that doubt. Three actions you can take. Just like I doubted that I'd ever use an iPhone, and with my palm trio in my pocket that I love so much, I went to the Sprint store and I got my first iPhone. And even as a doubter, I tried it out and it turned out that I really like it. And it's very similar. You can feel doubt, but choose faith. Here's your first action step. When you doubt, seek Jesus out. Doubting, it's like the worst mistake you could make to be like, well, because I'm doubting, I'm not gonna seek Jesus. This father doubted, even as he gathered his son, traveled by foot to Jesus, pushed his way through a crowd, he was doubting, and he let his doubt drive him to seek Jesus out. So many people I meet who've said, yeah, I kind of considered Jesus, but I never became a believer. It's very rare that they really considered it. What I mean is it's very rare that they actually sought him out, both intellectually and at the heart level. Saying, you know what, for, for three months or six months, I'm actually gonna read the words of Jesus and I'm actually gonna pray and say, hey, if you're there, show yourself to me. Most of the people who say, yeah, he's just not there, they've never done that. They've never actually tried it. It kind of reminds me of when I wrote an auto review as a journalist, I would get a different new car every week to drive. It was a difficult job, you know, like, Hey, it's AMG Mercedes week. Oh, bummer. Hate going to work. I have to drive this brand new AMG Mercedes for a week. So it was a good job. It was a fun job. But here's the thing I learned as a reviewer. I had bias, right? There were certain brands of cars, and I won't say what they are because I don't want to offend anyone, but there were certain brands of cars that were kind of known for being cheap and, uh, okay, I'm, I'm, got, I'm really trying to not say it. I'm not going to say it. I don't want to offend any of you. Certain brands of cars that were known for being cheap and you'd get that car as a reviewer and you already kind of knew, I don't like this car. I already kind of have my review written in my mind. And this car is gonna have to really be amazing to convince me otherwise. There were other kinds of cars that you already knew you liked it before you even got it. And so even if it broke down on the side of the road as a brand new car, like an Alfa Romeo, I mean, it's just gorgeous, it's beautiful car, it's so unreliable that even when it's new, it breaks down, but it's just so beautiful. 
You just have to like it. And the thing is, we, we do this in other areas, right? We're like, I want to like that football team even if they're losing, or I want to like that car even if it breaks down. I want to I wanna like this restaurant. I had one bad meal there, but I've had a lot of good ones there. We, in other areas, we have this will, and whereas we can kind of choose what we believe. And it's like, have you ever actually given God that chance? Have you ever actually said, you know, I'm going to try to drive the car and really see what it's like? I'm going to actually seek Jesus out. And then when it comes to the problems in your life, you might be here and maybe you've experienced Jesus' forgiveness of your sins and you know you have eternal life, but how rarely do we actually bring him our problems in a given day? We get all upset about something at work or something in a relationship or something in our finances or something in ourselves. We get all upset about it. And we try to fix it, and we self-medicate, and we complain to the people around us. But how often do we actually just seek Jesus out and say, Jesus, here's what I'm feeling. Here's my problem. I believe you could fix this thing. Would you help my unbelief? Would you overcome my unbelief? The, little bit, the littlest bit of faith shows in action. Your faith doesn't have to be perfect but real faith, as small and mixed with doubt as it can be, is an action. What actions would you take if you knew Jesus was going to fix the problem in your life? Start taking those actions today and start seeking Jesus daily. And when you have doubt, say, overcome my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And that's step two. When you doubt, ask God to overcome your unbelief. Hopefully for those of you who are followers of Jesus and, and you're really pursuing him, if nothing else, this message for you normalizes that when you are having faith but then you feel doubt, you're not all of a sudden a bad Christian. You're just a normal Christian. That is my life almost every day. That was the life of this dad who had his son miraculously healed. That was life for the disciples that's life for the heroes that we look to in scripture who had great faith. They all felt doubt. The difference was when they felt doubt, they chose to continue acting on their faith even though they felt doubt. And they would pray things like, help me overcome my unbelief. This is especially true after you really step out to seek God first. You really step out and say, you know, God, we really want to pursue you. Uh, there's a couple in our church, and they've seen God transform their finances. Their finances used to be a mountain of debt. And as they've done things God's way through our Financial Peace University here, that mountain of debt has been moved, and they're now debt-free. But they shared with me that recently God led them to support a ministry in the country of Haiti, and to do this, they would have to literally sell some of their property and take some money out of their retirement and they said, John, we know God called us to do it, but when we saw that number of the stuff we had actually liquidated to support this ministry in Haiti, we, we were stepping out in faith, but in that moment, we felt overcome with doubt. Should we actually do this? And here's the thing, that is, that's normal. Anytime God has called me to step out and do something big for him, guess what? Once I step out over the edge, I'm feeling doubt, but I'm choosing faith. And I don't do it perfectly, but this is like my life prayer. I believe, help me overcome 
my unbelief. And you just need to know when you really start to do things God's way in your marriage, in your career, in any domain of your life, and then you start to feel some doubt, it's normal. It doesn't mean you did something wrong. You just keep choosing faith because it's a choice, and you ask God to overcome your doubt. Well, I want to show you a picture of this. If you think of Noah building the ark, Noah, this great hero of faith, because he had faith when there had never been a flood in his area to build an ark anyways. But you know there had to be moments when he was swinging that hammer that he felt doubt. And I want to show you a picture of this in the modern retelling of Noah. It's the story, the movie, Evan Almighty. And in Evan Almighty, I want you to watch Steve Carell and just think about your doubts in the fact that you can choose to keep having faith even when you feel doubt. Go ahead and check it out. Lucky guess, Baxter. Lucky guess. about the rain with a slight miscalculation as to the quantity. Something's wrong. Well, honey, the clouds are moving away. No, 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 this isn't right. Evan, even if it kept raining, it's not like it could cause a flood in a day. But today is the day. It has to be. This just doesn't make any sense. Wait a second. What, what is it? Marty said that long cut corners violated building codes. What are you talking about? The lake, Long Lake. It's named after him. It's the lake. It's the lake. get on the ark. I agree. I think we should get on the ark also. I'm cold, I'm wet, I'm going home. Boat. Stay here with the kids. 
too dangerous. No, Dad. I told you I'm with you. Faith is acting on what we believe to be true, whether or not we feel it. Noah didn't feel like building an ark, but when God said to, he acted on it. And when you feel doubt, your doubt doesn't define your faith, your actions do, your choices do. You know, God says in the book of Hebrews that faith is believing that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And then Hebrews 11 goes on to give us all these heroes like Noah and Abraham and Sarah who followed God and even though they failed at times and even though they were overcome with emotions of doubt at times, they chose to keep stepping forward, building an ark, believing that what God says is true. And here's the thing, if you will choose faith, if you'll choose to do what he says in your marriage, in your finances, in these other areas, with your own desires, you will see him move your mountains. Some of the biggest mountains we'll see moved in the next life when we wake up in eternity with God in a perfect place. But there are mountains that he will move in this life when you allow your faith to be in action. And when you start doing that and you just feel overcome with doubt, here's step three, you remind yourself the strongest believers before us, like Noah and like the father in this story and Mary, when she showed up at the empty tomb after Jesus had been crucified, one of the strongest believers, she says, who stole his body? He couldn't possibly have risen from the dead. After Thomas gets told he did rise from the dead, Thomas says, I refuse to believe. The strongest believers, our spiritual ancestors, they all had the same doubts that you feel. What sets them apart is they didn't let their feelings control them in those moments. They continued to choose to believe. Well, I hope you've been able to enjoy the fall weather before it totally turns to winter. This last week, we went to an apple orchard. And while we were at the apple orchard, there was this little grove of beech trees. And my three kiddos started climbing the trees, Jack and Zoe and Evie. And they were having a blast. I don't know if you've ever seen beech nuts before. They have this husk around the nut with all these thorns that protect the fruit. Here's a picture of a beech nut off of a beech tree. And you can see these thorns and uh, they're super, super painful. And so I kind of warned the kids as they're climbing around, watch out for these. And they were climbing for probably 10 or 15 minutes. Mel and I are just chilling, enjoying this beautiful sunny fall day. And then all of a sudden we hear this death scream from our youngest and poor little thing. I don't think she's ever had thorns. It was her first encounter with thorns. 
and she had a few in her hand and a few on her leg, and she just screamed. I mean, it sounded like she was being attacked by killer bees, and so I ran to her, and I pull her out of the tree. Yeah, and this is, if you're wondering how sick are John and Mel that they take a picture of their kid when they're crying, here's the backstory on that. This went on for about 20 minutes, and so while we were very compassionate after a while, it did become a little bit comical, but... Here's Evie at the peak of her agony, just heartbreaking, because we realized not only is she feeling this physical pain, but these little thorns, some of them had come off uh, of the fruit thing and they were in her skin, and she was afraid that they would never come out. She was trying to pull them out and she couldn't get them out, and so it wasn't just the pain, it was this belief that the pain would never leave her. And here's the thing, in that moment, Evie didn't think the pain was ever gonna go away, but she had enough faith, if you will, to cry out for me and Mel. And she cried out for us, and I ran to her like a dad would run to a loving child, and I pulled her out of that tree. And here's the thing, when we have hurt in our lives, the thorns of a broken world, we often feel like it's never gonna be removed. And here's really what we've learned today. You don't need to have perfect faith to see God work. You just need to have enough faith to call out to him. And even as you're calling out, if you're thinking, Jesus, help me if you can. Jesus, help me, I believe, but help my unbelief. He responds to that prayer. He runs to you. When you think, I don't think anyone could fix this problem, that's the time for faith to call out to the only one who could. And when your faith is mixed with doubt to say, overcome my unbelief, here's your application from everything we've learned today. When you feel doubt, not if, but when you feel doubt, you can still choose faith. And how do you know if you're choosing faith? By your actions. You choose to still come to church when you don't feel like it. You choose to still listen to the word of God and read the word of God when you don't feel like it. You choose to be around other believers. You choose to keep doing things Jesus' way, believing that even though you might feel some doubts, he can overcome those and he can work miracles and he can move mountains today. Let me pray that for you. Father, in this room, Lord, we have many thorns in our skin, many pains in our life. And if we're honest, Lord, our biggest doubts about you are connected to our biggest pains. We don't know how you could ever fix that thing or that situation. We haven't seen you do it yet, and so we struggle to believe that you would do it. And so, Lord, we come to you right now, and we just pray this prayer that you, written, you wrote in your word for us, I believe Help me overcome my unbelief. Father, I pray that right now for the person in this room who is spiritually where I was when I doubted your very existence. But Lord, I thank you that just like trying a restaurant or test driving a car, I gave you a chance. How foolish I would have been to not give you a chance. You've changed my life. You've changed my very thoughts, my identity. You've given me peace and purpose, freedom from shame and guilt that I never could have found. 
Lord, I live knowing every day I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm an heir of the greatest inheritance in all of eternity, that I will be immortal in your presence, that no power on earth or hell could stop me as I do your work. All of that started with me saying, God, if you are there, I want to know you. I kind of believe, would you help my unbelief? And I just pray for the person who's in that position, Lord, would they genuinely seek you out? Would they genuinely read your words, Jesus, in the gospels? Would they genuinely call out to the universe and say, God, if you're there, Jesus, if you're God, show yourself to me. I have a little bit of belief, overcome my unbelief. Father, as we follow you in this broken world, just like your disciples, we become convinced that you're real and you do miracles, but sometimes we doubt that you would actually do the miracle in our life. Sometimes we doubt that that mountain could ever be moved. And so I just pray right now for every one of my brothers and sisters where there's been doubt that today we would listen to your words and we'd say faith is a choice, not a feeling. And I choose to believe my God can move that mountain. If he doesn't move it right away, he has a better plan. I'm gonna continue to believe in him. I'm gonna do things his way in my marriage and with my finances and with my health, with my career. I will be the person he calls me to be, believing that as I show my faith through actions, that little mustard seed of faith will move mountains in God's time and in God's way. Lord, strengthen our faith. Make us a people who experience your power as we choose to act on our faith no matter how we feel. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.